I love that song. I speak Jesus. You know, I was thinking about about it, this song and, and I thought, yes, it, it, it sounds so lovely. I love that, you know, I speak Jesus. I speak it over anxiety, over sickness, over addiction, over hard times and suffering. And yes, we need to speak Jesus' name over things. But it can just sound like this lovely lofty idea. And I'm a, a practical person. And I believe that also, as well as doing that, we can also do practical, real things that are metaphorically speaking Jesus over someone's life. And I really wanted to share uh, some, some practical ideas, some things we can do to be with and be there for people who are struggling. That's actually gonna be next week's message because this week first, <laughs> I wanna lay a foundation of that. We're gonna delve into the idea of suffering. What is it, what's its purpose and where is God through our suffering? And spoiler alert, God is with us. I can bring up my, back my slide now. God is with us. So you can take your seats. You guys can take a seat as well. That was fantastic. Um, if you've been here for the last, I don't know, probably more than a month or so, now a number of weeks, we've been, um, we've been talking mental health. Um, and I know some of you might have heard that Brendan was going to be speaking next. So I apologize that it's me, um, unfortunately or unfortunately, however you wish to view it, um, you have to wait a couple of more weeks, but he will be speaking. But I really just wanted to add to the fantastic preaching that we have had um, from Pastor Chris over the last month or so on mental health. Um, and especially as it's an area that I have experienced my own struggles in. Um, some of you may re remember me mentioning last year um, about how I took the advice that was mentioned last in last week's message of go to therapy. And I have been doing that for probably almost three years now. Um, I was struggling with overwhelm, mum rage, negative thought patterns. And I know others, there are definitely others who have been through way more than me. So I don't pretend to speak for someone who has suffered, suffered great loss, been in a deep depression or suffered crippling anxiety. But from someone who has felt not good enough, anxious and alone, I want to share the hope that I have in knowing that God is with us. And next week, how, um, help us know how we can try and emulate that example and be there for others who are struggling or suffering. The first thing that I want you to know is that Christianity offers a God who has suffered. He knows pain. He knows suffering. He knows death. And the second thing I want you to know is that he is with us. Before Jesus was born, an angel told Mary, you will have a son and he will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jesus came to earth, walked among us, lived a human life, and that's why he knows suffering. I was listening to the late Tim Keller speak about a book he wrote called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And he contrasts the Christian view of suffering with other religions, other cultures, other philosophies of the world. And it's very interesting. And I looked into these and some, of, some others a bit more. And for example, in Buddhism, suffering is an inherent part of life, but it comes from attachment and desire. So the goal is to achieve enlightenment and be liberated from suffering by no longer desiring these things. In Islam, suffering is a test from Allah. In karma, karma says um, our actions bring consequences. If you are suffering, you did something to deserve it. 
Stoicism says encourages developing inner resilience and, and strength to face suffering. Many native cultures view suffering as part of the natural cycles of life. They can be a test, a time of personal growth, a time for ceremonies, connection for land and to community to find healing and balance. Many Eastern cultures say, accept, accept suffering. Interestingly enough, in, in general, in secular or Western culture, we say suffering is outrageous, it's unjust and it's meaningless and we should do all we can to avoid it even happening in the first place. Suffering is often seen as an obstacle to personal well-being and happiness. Let me ask you a question. In Christianity, is suffering just or unjust? Yes. <laughs> it's both. In one sense, it's just. You know, we've turned away from God. Right at the beginning of the Bible, we turned away from God in this world and there is things that, there are natural consequences that come from that. But like where karma says suffering is always fair, Christianity says, no, not, not quite. Western society says we don't deserve suffering at all. But again, Christianity says, no, that's not quite right either. Another question, when you suffer, should you cry and scream and complain or should you trust God and pray? Yes, <laughs> you got it. Christianity says on one hand, if you're suffering, of course you should cry and scream. It's okay to feel bad and to express that. And yet God has a plan. God is both sovereign and suffering. He's in charge even during tough times, even if we don't get exactly what he's doing, but he's not controlling everything like puppets on strings. There's more to it. He also came into this world. He became human and vulnerable and suffered so that he could forgive us and end evil someday without having to actually end us. He's both in control and someone who knows what pain feels like. Because of this mix of power and pain, when we're struggling, we can find comfort in knowing that he, he actually gets it. And in the end, we can trust that he's working things out to make everything better. Many of us would know Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. To quote Tim Keller directly, he says, Christian, Christianity teaches that contrary to fatalism, suffering is overwhelming. Contrary to Buddhism, suffering is real. Contrary to karma, suffering is often unfair. But contrary to secularism, suffering is meaningful. There's a purpose to it. Where Buddhism says accept it, karma says pay for it, fatalism says heroically accept it, secularism says avoid it or fix it. But from the Christian perspective, all of them are right, partly, but redu reductionistically, so therefore they're actually all wrong. Christian Christianity has the theology to say yes, we should ease up on loving material things. And yes, there's a reckoning for past wrongs. Sure, we shouldn't just sit around when people are suffering. We need to act. But it goes even deeper than all of this because of Jesus. Christianity says suffering is a part of life because of how the world's messed up. Yet believing in Jesus adds a twist. Suffering can actually make us better, more spiritual. When we're hurt, God is there to bring comfort. And the bonus, there's hope for an everlasting life that goes beyond this world. 
John 16, 33 says, I have told you this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Two things can be true at once. You can have a life with sad things happening, with suffering, but at the same time, Jesus came here so that we could have an abundant life that is joyful and full of purpose and meaning. God gives us a joy, a happiness, a hope, so that we can be sad and okay at the same time. Let's take a look at Job. I asked my good friend ChatGPT to give me a summary of the book of Job, and I quite liked <laughs> what it wrote, so here goes. The book of Job in the Bible tells the story of a man named Job who was righteous and wealthy. Satan challenges Job's faith by suggesting that he only serves God because of his blessings. As a test, God allows Satan to afflict Job with severe suffering, including losing his possessions, health, and family. Job's friends visit him and offer various explanations for his suffering, suggesting that he must have done something wrong to deserve it. And Job wrestles with his pain and questions God's justice. He expresses his anguish and frustration, even wishing that he had never been born. Throughout the book, Job and his friends engage in intense dialogues about the nature of suffering, righteousness and God's ways. Job maintains his innocence and demands an audience with God to seek answers. In the latter part of the book, God responds to Job out of a whirlwind. God doesn't directly answer Job's questions, but instead reveals his awe-inspiring power and wisdom in creation. Job realizes his limitations and humbles himself before God. God rebukes Job's friends for their simplistic explanations and instructs them to offer sacrifices for their misguided counsel. God restores Job's fortunes, blessing him with double what he had before. The book of Job addresses profound questions about the nature of suffering, the human condition, and the mysteries of God's sovereignty. It explores themes of faith, perseverance, humility, and the complexity of divine wisdom beyond human understanding. Job's story illustrates the importance of trusting God, even in the midst of life's most challenging trials. So if you haven't re read the book of Job, don't. Um, just let's just trust ChatGPT's explanation. No, obviously I'm kidding, but it is a hard read. Um, it was a long time ago since I've read it and I asked for that summary so that I didn't need to go do the whole thing again um, because he suffered. He complained, he whinged, he had a real hard time. But like, wouldn't you if your family had died and everything had been taken away from you? I mean, fair enough. Um, but, you know, at the end of all of that, God told him, well done. Why? He was just whinging and complaining the whole time, right? But he actually, he trusted, he was with God. He prayed. I mean, yes, it might not sound like it a lot of the time, but he was suffering, he complained, he even questioned God, but he did it all with God. He did it in God's presence. He knew God was with him, and that's how he made it through. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. I want to share another bit of Tim Keller wisdom. These are five things that we can do to get through suffering. And I'll keep them fairly short because they sort of sum up things I've already talked about. But number one is weeping. Pour your heart out to God. As Pastor Cred, Chris, Pastor Cred? 
<laughs> Pastor Chris said last week, feel your feelings. We need to acknowledge our suffering. Number two, hold on, trust God, trust in God. Number three, pray. Number four, and this one I haven't touched on so much today, but reorder your loves. He says, basically, like, look at what's important to you. Put God and your family ahead of your job, for example. Reorder your loves. And number five, have hope. Now, these five things, they all work in together. It's not just doing one of them or doing it in any particular order. You've got to do all of them, and they, they work together. And, and we can have a look at Jesus doing all of these things in the Bible. So here's five quick examples of those. Number one, Jesus weeping. John eleven thirty five says, then Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible, and it highlights Jesus' compassion and empathy when he witnessed the grief of those mourning the death of Lazarus, his friend. Number two, Jesus trusting God. Matthew 26, 39, Jesus said, it says, he went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from, you, from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus demonstrated his unwavering trust in God's plan, even in the face of immense, the immense suffering that he was about to endure. Number three, Jesus praying. Luke six twelve. I mean, there's obviously lots of examples of Jesus praying in the Bible, but this one, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up onto a mountain to pray and he prayed to God all night. He regularly engaged in prayer and connected with his father, our father, to seek guidance. Even this time, in this example, dedicating an entire night to it. Number four, reordering our loves. Matthew 22, 37 to 40 says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commands. Jesus emphasized the importance of reordering our loves, placing God above all else and loving others as ourselves. And number five, having hope. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Oh, sorry, Hebrews, 20, uh, Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus endured the cross with hope, looking ahead to the joy that was to come. And this serves as an example for us to endure challenges with hope in God's promises. You know, many people actually lose their faith due to suffering. And many other people gain faith or strengthen their faith due to suffering. So why is that? Because it's actually what happens in you in response to suffering that determines the outcome. It's not actually, suffering doesn't actually do anything to us. It's what you tell yourself about it that moves you one way or the other. If we view it as God has abandoned me, this is a meaningless thing that's taken away my happiness, then no wonder you lose faith. So that's why I think we need the reminder that God is close. God is with you in whatever you're going through. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not, be, sorry, be not dismayed, 
for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will up uphold you with my righteous right hand. This scripture reassures us that God is present in the midst of our struggles, offering strength and support during times of hardship. I think this, for me, know, th knowing this, knowing God, has been my greatest source, source of strength and hope. There are moments in my life I felt so down that I thought that if I didn't know God, I don't know where I'd be or how I'd cope because he is my source of hope. Yes, at times I felt some hopelessness, like when will I ever feel good about who I am or will certain things always feel so hard? But I also have this deep sense in me that God is here. There's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a plan and I can trust him. We explore today how suffering is a part of life, but it's our response that truly matters. Many worldviews offer their views on suffering, but Christianity stands out. It tells us that God knows suffering firsthand and he walks with us through it all. So before we finish, I just want to pray. Dear God, we're here with hearts open, knowing that you're right here with us. Thank you. Thank you for showing us that suffering isn't the end. It isn't blocking the path to happiness, but it's a chance for growth and hope. God, I pray that you be with those who are struggling, offering comfort and strength. For those seeking you, Lord, draw them in. God, we ask that your presence is there to guide us through life's challenges. Amen. Before we finish, if any of you here just feel that tug in your heart, you want to welcome Jesus into your life, you want to experience his presence and hope, then I just want to say that if you want to come and talk to me or to one of our pastors, or there will be somebody for prayer uh, uh, the, uh, who will be here praying for people at the end of the service, come and see them. If you want to invite him into your life and know, have his hope, be able to trust in him. I just want you to remember that no matter what you're facing, God is with you, offering his love and grace.